Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for board game news and reviews. This week, game designers Peter Gusis and Michael Kelly will review a cooperative game and have a related design discussion. Hello, and welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for co-op news, reviews, and playthroughs. I'm Peter, and tonight we are going to be reviewing Maximum Apocalypse Wet and Wild. No, that's not what it's called. Maximum Apocalypse Wasted Wild. (laughs) I mean, they have had several releases now. They might as well go for like a not safe for work special release, right? (laughs) Yes, clearly. Yeah, so I'm with Mike. What's up, Mike? Hey, Peter. Hey, audience. How's it going? Welcome back to the podcast slash stream. We're reviewing this one and we're going to talk about what was it standalone versus uh, expansion and kind of the choice there. Yeah. Like why would you make a standalone expansion versus why would you make a regular expansion? We've, we haven't explored that. We've explored other things about like re reimagining your games, which is certainly what Mm -hmm. this is a reimagining of maximum apocalypse, adding some things, taking some things away, streamlining things. And actually they even had along with this campaign, a redone campaign Right, where you could go back and play the original stuff with this new campaign stuff. Is that correct? Yeah, so they have a separate booklet. I mean, we'll get into this in the review, I'm sure, but they have a separate booklet that goes with all of the old releases and kind of redoes their missions some. Yep. And I think, if I remember correctly, they have now the best way to get the rest of the content is what's called, I think, the Legendary Edition. I'll look that up later during the actual review. And that has the original like core game and the original like two bigger box expansions. I think it was two. So at this point, I think if you just buy Wasted Wilds and the Legendary expansion, you have basically everything Maximum Apocalypse, and it would cover like all the new campaign options that you have. Yeah, no, that's cool. But this is a standalone, so you don't need to buy any of that other stuff. And we'll discuss maybe whether you should buy it or not, whether there's value in it as part of our campaign. But, uh, Mike, do we want to thank some Patreon people before we get into our What Have You Been Playing section? Absolutely. Yeah, so if you don't know, we have a Patreon. And yeah, I was just counting the other day. I think we have, I think, over 50 videos (laughs) that are only seeable there now. Anything from extra reviews and top 10 lists and Colin and I criticizing each other and Peter and I have longer conversations about things. So yeah, and uh, I like did uh, comparisons of boss battlers. There's all kinds of stuff up there. And then also you get early access to the main channel videos. Clearly you can't get early access to streaming uh, channel content until uh, we crack the time code. <laughs> but uh, if you want to subscribe, uh, help us out. It's patreon.com slash one stop. And uh, yeah, we'll thank a few of our patrons today. Stuart McCullough, Stephen Collins, Katrina Ruff. What the hell? We'll do five. Daryl and Drew Michelson. Stuart, Stephen, Katrina, Daryl, and Drew Thank you all for your support. Thanks to all our patrons. And thanks to anyone who's involved in our community in any way, shape, or form, who's subscribed to the streaming channel, to the main channel, who listens to the podcast or downloads it, who's ranked us or rated us on Apple or wherever else you're listening. All that stuff is helpful, even if you uh, don't have the financial situation or the interest in actually supporting us on Patreon. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of patrons right now, and we totally appreciate everything because, honestly, it's hard to do all this stuff, right? I got a new computer. I'm not real happy with it. I had to get a new microphone recently. So uh, every bit of support helps, but we also don't want people going beyond their means for sure. So yeah. And I mean, I've I've bought a bunch of games recently with Patreon money and done videos uh, for them. So the more, the more patronage we get, the more we can give back to you. Well, yeah, people, you have to do it. We'll, we'll, we'll keep making videos either way, but well, people who don't want to see like reviews that are like 
quote unquote biased by publishers sending review copies or whatever, right? Like there's not a sustainable way for anybody to do this where they have to continually buy their own stuff over and over. Yes. I mean, we do get a lot of review copies to be clear. And I've many times, including on Patreon, I've done uh, videos about (laughs) how I feel about that and where there is the potential for bias and where I don't think there is, but uh, yeah. Cool. So actually I'll, I'll only talk about two quickly. I have four, but two of them I haven't played yet, but I'm excited to play, if that makes sense, because I've gotten a lot of uh, review copies recently. Yep. So the first one is Marvel Dagger. Um, I did a playthrough of that last week, and then Peter and I played, and I played with Jerry, I played the game with my wife, played a game with my son. I did a four-player, four-character game solo, because I was really, in my review on Sunday, you'll hear more about this, but I was really... uh, struggling with some aspects of the game and whether like I was having kind of just bad luck or if that was like actually kind of uh, inherent in the design. So long story short, you know, the details will be on Sunday, but I think it's a lot of fun. I do think it's got some major flaws that might need like house rules or some extra tinkering to fix. It's a little bit tough to tell because I'm one of the only people I know that's actually played it. So until like I see more forum activity on BGG, I'll still feel a little bit in a bubble, but yeah, I, I, I've played I it. I wouldn't Mike. fully recommend it. I've played it. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You, you, you played it once. So I, I, I do like it. Um, I like it more than maybe I sh- uh, normally would with the flaws I see. But the thing is, I, I really enjoy like the heroes and I really enjoyed like the actions you take and the cooperation, which helps me uh, ignore some of the other things in there. Yeah, it but, was fun. Yeah, it- I, It'll probably be our next review, like full-blown review, I'm guessing, in two weeks. So I just need to get it from you so I play it more than the one time. Yes. The one thing I didn't do is I didn't play on the harder difficulty setting. Now, why and is that? Partially, it's because I'm not sure if I'm understanding it correctly. So okay. for disclosure, the game, kind of like a lot of other games, to balance player count, will have, like, for missions and stuff, you have to complete. It'll have, like, a player count icon, you know, like kind of like how Arkham, uh, the card game does like the clue tokens or quest tokens or whatever to advance so this one does the same thing and the difficulty setting is just act like there's one more player in the game but what i'm not entirely clear about is whether that also means spawn enemies as though there were one more player in the game because i think that would actually make a more appreciable difference yeah and no, it did i sort of like it was everything right if it just says active right but but see it's a little bit weird because the spawn value for two player is the same as for three player and for one player so, like, if they wanted you to spawn more, it wouldn't really be, like, treat everything as one higher, but, like, just spawn the next value more, which isn't... So, it's, it's just, like, the, the rules don't make it clear. But I would say, well, if, if you're going to try it, Peter, like, just do it. Just spawn an extra monster, and it'll... Well, no, no, but he, here's my point. Uh, hear, hear me out. Because monsters did have health values based on number of players, right? So no, not... they don't. No, they don't at all. Only sworn. the final boss has... Oh, no, the nope, quest. Nope. The quest, that's the what quest, it was. yes. Well, that's yeah. the other thing. So when you get side quests, some of them have a player count base. But then if you get a side quest enemy, it doesn't. So it's just a little bit wonky. And the fact that that's the only like difficulty, official difficulty variant they have is whatever. But, well, but yeah. I, I assume the like three player has to be harder than two player, right? Like not harder as far as difficulty if you're playing with three players. But if you were playing as if it was three players... Even if you're not spawning more monsters, like they figured out ways to make it harder and easier, right? So, like, oh, right. To, the, the to big thing for three, the big thing for three player is it takes you longer to complete the quests. You don't get any more monsters generally, and the monsters aren't harder to kill. But you have one fewer action per character. But you have 
more health spread out between all of you. So I, I didn't find my two-player games, my three-player games significantly different in balance. I thought the player balancing is actually pretty good. It's the overall balancing that has some issues. But that's know? my point. If you were playing as if you were playing with three players, like more quest tokens you have to get, stuff like that, I feel like it would just be harder. Like you don't have to spawn extra monsters necessarily. Like they already well, balance for that, right? <laughs> I mean, let, let, let's save some of this for the discussion. Okay. Anyway, watch the video on right. Sunday. Check out the podcast in a couple of weeks. Uh, and Peter, you need to play it more, and then we can talk about this more. <laughs> well, yes. I mean, because our game was a blowout. Like, we destroyed it when we played. Right. And and the, and, and what you're talking about wouldn't fix that. So that's that's the thing. But we'll, we'll talk about it later. Yep. For people who just joined, that's Marvel Dagger. So the other one I've been playing, uh, actually, a bunch yesterday and today, because I, I kind of have, like, a, a pile of shame. Like, I, I got a lot of review copies, and then other games came in, and I didn't cover some of them. So I have some games that I got like December of last year or January of this year. So I'm trying to get back to those now that I have a bit more time in the summer. So I played Intrepid. Did you ever play the prototype of that with me? I think you did. Remind me. It's about like you're it. on a space station and you like are spinning a wheel for like your resources, like power and temperature. But then uh, you're like Russia or the U.S. or Great Britain. Each of them I has do like remember their own something tiles. Like that. Yep. Yeah, and it's like dice placement. Yep. Yeah, so I, I played, yes, that, I played uh, that for sure. Yeah, I even played it today with my son. I played a solo game today. I played some yesterday just to try to f- see how the the new the official because I had never played the release copy. I got a review copy. I never opened it. And yeah, I, it's it's very positive. I have some things that I think won't work in the game for some people, but I forgot how fun the little dice placement. It's one of those games that like combos a lot. Like you place dice here and you get more dice, and you place dice here and you get more dice. And then ooh, no, my dice aren't the right value. So let me help you out, and you give me dice and. So it's like a nice amount of cooperation. The tension is good. Was that and always a cooperative have... game, or is it? Yeah, yeah. Okay. No, I it was always know. it was always one to four players. But at, for the released edition, something that they didn't have when I was playing it, they have uh, more of the like crises for you to deal with, some more variety. And then they also have a cool kind of like we designed, Peter. Uh, they have like these cool cards for each of the crises that makes it easier in one way but harder in another because we already have a way to make the game harder so just like kind of add even more variety yep so so far i'm really i'm kind of digging it i'm I'm happy that i finally got to it (laughs) by the way dan roberts says about dagger sounds like mike likes half the game half as much as he would like and likes half the game half as well as it deserves (laughs) that's uh do you know that's from peter is that i'm trying i was thinking princess bride but yeah I'm, that's uh, that's Bilbo's uh, goodbye speech yes. when he's uh, about to put on the ring and leave Hobbiton in uh, the Fellowship of the Ring. That's right. That's right. Okay. But how about you? I- I'll get to my two ones I haven't played uh, after you do a few of yours. What have you been playing recently? Well, I want to. I mean, the only thing I played is Dagger with you, and then that other game we played together. It's been a very busy time for me, and and lots of Flame and Fang, and lots of prototyping, and lots of. <laughs> oh, Witcher! <laughs> is that what we played? Witcher. That was the other one. Yeah, I was trying to remember. <laughs> yep. Yeah, which Witcher, the old world specifically. That's the new one, not the like Fantasy Flight one from several years ago. So why don't you go over the basics of that? Because I do have opinions on it. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, I've already talked a lot, but okay, real quick. Um, it's a competitive game with a solo mode that's not supposed to be very good out of the base game. I honestly haven't tried it because I think they're going to send me one of the expansions. They have the Legendary Hunt expansion, which makes apparently competitive and solo more interesting. And then they have the Wild Hunt expansion, lots of hunting. Um, that gives it a co-op mode, but that's not going to be in retail for a while. But anyway, yeah, you uh, it, it's a very basic adventure game. You move around the board uh, using cards to move. You level up or get to like do things each space you move to. 
And then eventually you fight monsters in kind of like a simplified tainted grail combat system with the cards you've kind of deck built into. And whoever like beats the most monsters most quickly wins the game. That's it's, it's a very straightforward rule set. Like it took us a little while to get the hang of it, but it was very basic once we understood it. So yeah, yeah I wanted to give some opinions, Peter. I already talked a lot. All right. So I really like this one. Uh, Because there were two puzzles going on simultaneously. There was the puzzle. So this is The Witcher again we're talking about. There was the puzzle of how you move. And every card you have in your hand has a little movement icon in the lower corner. And it tells you what type of terrain you can move to. And every time you move, you get something. So it could be spend this much money to level up one of your stats. Or it could be if it's the lowest stat, uh, if like attack is your lowest stat, then level that up. So it... It was a very interesting movement puzzle to me, and that's what I focused a lot on is drafting cards because after your turn's over, then you draft these cards, and some of the cards that are better at combat require you to actually discard cards from your hand to draft them so the next turn, instead of having a three-card hand or a four-card hand, you may only have a two-card hand if it costs you two cards to draft a card. So... That puzzle was really interesting. A lot of times I was taking free cards, which weren't necessarily as good at combat, but really did well when it came to moving around the board and letting me level up faster. And leveling up faster lets you do things like draw more cards faster during combat. So that was one way of going about it. But the way you approached it was you were drafting cards that were very good and comboed with each other in combat. And the combat, as Mike, I think, said, is a lot like Tainted Grail, where you're building these like combo chains together. So you really want to try to draw cards in your hand at the same time that combo well together i don't know the combat was really interesting the movement was really interesting and i just really liked how you leveled up your deck by or and leveled up your character by moving around and it was mostly focused around these fights now was there downtime certainly at the beginning i felt like we had quite a bit of downtime but that's because we were learning the system and learning the fights but later in the game the fights seemed to go very fast to me so mm-hmm. i don't know i i really liked everything about the game and, and your yeah deck- i, I- is is your life pool yeah i mean it wasn't perfect but i loved i loved all of that stuff what we were doing i really loved yeah no i'm pretty much in the same place would i play it with four players probably not no three players was okay like once we all knew it it was going pretty quickly i'm very curious so beyond the expansions that offer apparently better solo modes because again i haven't actually tried the base game solo yet right uh, there's also some people on bgg doing like working on variants that might be good so you don't have to buy any of the expansions but yeah i, th- I thought the combat system was great and th- the choice peter was talking about is super interesting like yeah i would uh because the the cost of cards to buy to add to your deck is the number of cards you would discard at the end of your current turn because you had to deck build every turn so you'd have fewer cards for the next turn. You'd have fewer ways to move around, fewer like ways to level up on the board. But then you'd have a two-cost card in your deck instead of a zero-cost card, let's say. Like, and the two-cost cards do way better effects in, yeah. uh, in combat. So there were, there were like multiple levels of decision-making, and I really dug it. And again, it's like a really streamlined system. So you can really hone in on just those like interesting decisions and all the rest is very straightforward. So yeah, good, good first impression. But again, I haven't uh, gotten into it too much yet. Yeah, no, it was first impression for me too. We've only played it once. I like that better than dagger when we played it that night though, when we played both games. Yeah, so far. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I I know you're more hesitant about it, but I I really liked it. And part of that decision-making process is 
that you you can see where you are on the board. So you can see where you move. So when you're drafting, even if you do decide to discard cards and have like a quote unquote weaker turn next turn because you have less cards in your hand, you can plan out where you want to move and being actually a good design since it's the last thing you do on your turn. They specifically even say, let the less, next person start taking their turn while you're making that decision. Like, okay, I, I, I see I can go to mountains here. Then I want to go to plains. Then I want to go to a forest. Okay, so that means I need to draft this card. Well, I got an extra plains card here. So I'll discard that for this one cost card. I don't know. Like all of that puzzle together made me very happy. And I didn't feel the downtime in the game. Like I think other, I know Jerry did not like the game as much. He thought there was a lot more randomness, but for me, oh, there is a lot of randomness. I mean, these are all things we'll talk about eventually. I'm sure. Sure. Absolutely. So Dan Roberts says there's a solo variant on BGG. Haven't tried it yet, but printed them out. Uh, like it two to three players, but it's a fun game and painting the minis right now. The game is well done. Throw in L hunt next time legendary hunt that's the same one that i think i'm gonna do the coverage of sweet because yeah the, the the big thing you know obviously i'm gonna cover this focus on the solo or co-op play but i don't know if i'll ever get the cooperative expansion so like in the in the solo game it's really just like a take as long as you need to get the four trophies to win right and see how long it took you so just beat your own score kind of mode which is usually not my favorite yeah no i would legendary that. hunt uh adds in like a, a boss that's moving around and you win the game by beating him so you're trying to like do stuff and level up quickly enough to fight him as quickly as possible, which in the end, you know, is maybe kind of the same thing. It's still like a go as fast as you can sort of thing. But I've read uh, other opinions online that say that it does like really feel much more uh, interesting and different with that expansion. That's cool. So that's The Witcher. What's the subtitle? Old The Old World, I think. Witcher The Old World, maybe. Because cool. it's supposed to be like a prequel, like Geralt's not in it. Like, don't come looking for kind of the Netflix series or the video games, <laughs> you know, the things that, or the books. Uh, I'm into The Witcher in, in all its forms. <laughs> yeah, The Witcher, the old, uh, old world. And I have no Witcher affiliation, if that helps you realize. Yeah, that. I, I'm, I'm very immersed in Witcher dumb, and Peter is not at all. So, yeah, and I but think both, Jerry, both spectrums Yeah, I think Jerry likes The Witcher as well, and maybe that's part of the reason he was disappointed. I mean, I just thought it was a good mechanical game. So that, yeah, yeah. that's where I'm coming from. But anyway, let's get into Maximum Apocalypse, shall we? Well, I wanted to mention, again, just two quick things. Oh, okay. That I'm very excited coming up. And I know, Peter, you're excited for at least one of them. Actually, yeah. I think you're excited for both of them for different reasons. Yeah, so the first one, uh, both of these just delivered, like, in the last few days. So I've, like, just opened them and looked at them, basically. So first is Tales from the Red Dragon Inn. We did previews oh, of this. I think so we even good. played on the stream, right? Yep, absolutely. Yes, yeah, so it is a very streamlined cooperative dungeon crawler from the Red Dragon Inn folks who did Battle for Greyport and, of course, the original Red Dragon Inn competitive game. We love that. I'm very excited to play that. My oldest son is home tomorrow, but my youngest is going out. So I'm like hoping we can maybe do like the first few scenarios then. And it's pretty and straightforward. Then, uh, he should be able to pick it up. Yeah. No problem. Um, well, and also they added more stuff. Like there's a lot of things that weren't in there. They have like a, a true solo mode now. So I might do a video of that just to show how that works. So we have like kind of like a little helper doing stuff. And then um, they added like more difficulty settings. So they have one that's just called like story difficulty, which I love when they do that kind of stuff. It's kind of like, are you playing with your kids? Do you just want to like see what happens and be awesome and kill everything? Right. Play on this difficulty. I'm like, that sounds exactly what I want yeah. when I'm playing with my son, you know? Well, and that might have been what the difficulty we played was. Because honestly, it wasn't a difficult game. That was, if I was to have one criticism of it, it would have been that. But the gameplay was fantastic. I loved what I was doing all the time. And I love feeling powerful. So yeah, for yep. me, I don't, I don't mind that at all. 
Yeah, I think they have four difficulties now. So even if what we played was like the second difficulty, they've still got two more ways to make it rougher <laughs> if you want to. And uh, then uh, the other one that I have not played yet, but I'm well, super excited on. about is... One sec. Because we got Steve Kingsley, the king of co-op, in the chat says, Tales from the Red Dragon Inn was a fun game, very clean design. Yeah, totally agree. All right, sorry, Mike, continue. And that's how I feel about The Witcher Old World too. I'm just like appreciating these games that are very like... Cut the fat. It is what it is. Go for it. You know? <laughs> yep. Absolutely. And the other one is uh, Genshin Tarot. This is a like unofficial but sanctioned, I guess, cooperative deck builder, fight monsters, fight a boss together by the end. You know, sort of like Aeon's End-ish, but not really like that at all and how it plays. And yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about this one. It has a lot of things that I love in like deck builders where you're upgrading cards instead of like making your deck get bigger you get cards straight to your hand and can use them immediately. Um, seems like there's a lot of cooperative uh, opportunities. Seems like there's a ton of variety in the characters. You got this whole like element thing. I've played a bit of Genshin Impact just to kind of get a feel for what the heck is going on, but not much. But from my understanding, Genshin has this whole thing where like when you combo element stuff happens and this game like tries to kind of emulate that a little bit. But Peter, I know you have a more personal uh, connection to <laughs> wanting to play this game. Yeah, it's my daughter's favorite game of all time. When I told her there was an Genshin Impact solo co-op design, she was super excited to try it out. So um, whenever you're done with that, I will definitely need to borrow it. And uh, yeah, I mean, she went to a like Comic-Con type convention, but like a local one, and uh, dressed up as a Genshin Impact character. So she's got like costumes. It's all that. So very cool personal connection. Uh, anything, you know, anytime you can use theme to attract people into games that typically because my daughter plays games with us but she's not usually the one that's like driving that but this theme got her excited to play the game and anytime you can do that it's always a huge plus so you know these games that take off ips and people are like oh why are all these games ip based well guess what if it makes people want to play games then that's freaking awesome um so super excited to try that one because she's super excited to try it yeah, and speaking of, I forgot, uh, my sons and I played uh, Mega Man Adventures, our own IP design, uh, yesterday too, and we had a good time. I died. I, I was so <laughs> focused on helping my sons out that I forgot to help myself out and got killed by the boss at the end. <laughs> but it still went well. I mean, anyway, let's uh, winning let's get to is winning. Apocalypse. And yep. actually, somebody said, like, so there was like a whole interview on Board Game Geek. I don't know if you saw that from Origins. Apparently, it was for sale at Origins. And they even said it was for sale available on Amazon. I haven't checked it lately, but there you go. If you want to play one I of know, our it's, games. It's on Amazon. Yeah, <laughs> we, we we still are not getting any royalties for any of that because. No, we haven't gotten drama. one penny. But, so don't think you're supporting but, us if you buy it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, but we, we're proud of the design. We still want people to play it. So of course. Go, go play it. <laughs> we don't have we don't have designer copies either. Like the only copies we have, we either bought ourselves or somebody sent us. Right. That's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> oh, gosh, unbelievable. But anyway, but uh, still a good game. So, uh, yeah, if you want to play one of our designs, that's one that is available right now. Mega Man Adventures. That is probably the only one you can buy right now. Yeah. Well, no, Dark Dealings, right? Oh, no, that's right. Is the website still not working for them? I don't know. Uh, I don't think the co-op rules are out yet either way. So uh, we've done them. They just I, I don't think they've been graphic designed and put out. All right. So Dan Roberts said, had a good time. I died. Said only by gamers. (laughs) <laughs> well, and by dads, because I was very happy my sons were having a good time, whether or not I won, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it's a co-op game. We all win. Everybody wins. Everybody wins. 
So let's get into our feature review, which is Maximum Apocalypse, Wasted Wilds. And Maximum Apocalypse, if you don't know the series, it is based in, well, an apocalypse. But every setting is different. So it might be a zombie apocalypse. Uh, in this specific set, you get two-ish, kind of three, but two that you actually have campaigns for without buying anything else. One is the Frozen Wastelands, and one is a desert Mad Max-type apocalypse theme. And you're basically going out and trying to accomplish different missions. There's a story associated with it, and as you go through, the story progresses, and the campaign becomes more and more difficult, like most campaigns. And this one has, it's an interlocking campaign, where the first one you play is the, like, winter apocalypse, but it leads into the desert apocalypse. And I didn't actually know that because when I played with my son, I started, I was like, well, I don't want to play the winter one again. I want to play different missions. So we started in the desert one and it does start you at a more complicated place than you start with the winter one. So there is only one kind of like starting mission, but we'll get into that when we get into mechanics. But uh, there, well, And also I'll say they're not like, it's a campaign, but it's also not really a campaign. Because generally speaking, you can jump into any of the missions. It doesn't really matter. You know what I mean? Like you don't carry over your characters or your equipment or anything. Yes. Um, There's one situation you kept your loyalty with a a faction. Yeah. But that was it. And also you could just easily just set that whatever you want. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) And I have thoughts about (laughs) that as well. But we'll get into those in in later thoughts. (laughs) So. Uh, Yeah. So to go into the kind of the core mechanics of Maximum Apocalypse, this is similar to previous sets with some changes. But basically, uh, each character has their own unique deck. Uh, Think of something like Street Masters or Sentinels of the Multiverse or what have you. And you are using those cards. They contain, like, equipment you can add to yourself. They contain, like, one-off actions that do special things based on your character. And you have a certain number of actions per turn. You can use those to move. It's on a kind of a tile-based grid. You can move around. You're going to flip over tiles as you get to them. So it's a sort of Fog of War hidden map at first. And the game is very, like, flexible in how you play. So, for example, they give, like, suggested configurations for the map tiles, but you can kind of do it however you want. You can make it tougher or easier if you choose to. So you're exploring locations. You're going to spawn enemies. Enemies will be, like, tokens on the board, showing that a place is dangerous. But then when the enemies actually, like, attack you, they become cards that are in your threat area, basically. Kind of, you know, Arkham, Marvel Champions, any of those kind of games, uh, that sort of style. You can fight them with weapons. You can use abilities to like avoid them, trade them to other people, all those kind of things. But it is uh, objective-based. Like Peter said, there's a little story for each mission. Often it'll be like you have to reach certain locations or sometimes you need to find certain locations. So it's more kind of like fog of war, obfuscated, like find this cave and then this will happen. And then usually you have to like get back to your van with a certain amount of food and or fuel because you can spend actions to scavenge and draw from this these uh, different decks based on the color of the tile you're on. Uh, tiles will be more or less dangerous based on spawning. So that's the basic idea. You're like using your unique deck, action-based uh, system, action-based economy, moving around, fighting monsters, trying to achieve whatever the objective uh, tells you to. And then this one adds like weather and other things, but I bet we'll talk about that in the review. So we can leave it there. So what we do here, if it's your first time joining us, is we talk about the top five things we think you need to know about the game, starting with number five, which is our least important point, and going to number one, which is the most important. But obviously, they're all important, or they wouldn't even make the list. 
So I will start out. My number five is the campaign, and I just talked about this a little bit. Um, there's two separate campaigns in the game, although they do lead one into the other. So I would actually suggest just starting with mission one of the frozen one and, and working your way through over to the desert one and keep going after that. The nice part, as Mike said, is there's not a lot of carryover from mission to mission. So you can happily join in or, or jump into your favorite missions. Uh, they are different as far as sometimes it's just just you have to go to a certain place. And, and one thing they've added new to this uh, Wasted Wilds, which they didn't have in the past, it used to be always that you'd have to find certain tiles. And it might be right next to your van, the first place you uh, explore, or it might be like the very last tile all the way on the other edge of the map. They do still have missions like that, but a lot of the missions now say place an A token, an A objective token, four spaces away from the van. It's still very loosey-goosey, and that's one of the things I don't love that games do. It's like, place it at least four away from the van. I mean, but it could literally be on the other side of the map, and then place the other one at least five spaces away from, you know, objective A, place objective B. So... Some people are going to like that because you can, very difficulty, do whatever you want. You want to explore the whole map, put the objective token all the way on the other side of the map. But for me, it, it's a little weird. I don't know. Like, I, I like more defined, like, do whatever, even building the map. They're like, build it however you want. We have three suggested map layouts, but you don't have to do that. Like, So uh, it's a little loosey-goosey, and you'll find that throughout the rules as well. But each mission is unique and fun in its own way, and uh, some of them... Uh, even even the ones where it's like find this tile, there are at least two of those tiles, it seems like, in the stack of 24 tiles or whatever you're trying to look through. So it feels like that was just a vast improvement over earlier versions of the game. So one reason, uh, at least for me, that I enjoyed this one better than earlier versions, and I think it works pretty well. So that's the campaign structure. All right, so Peter, uh, I, I decided to do something a little bit different since we're talking about uh, standalones and maybe like repackaged or revised versions of games. Okay. I'm, I'm doing a revised version of my original Maximum Apocalypse review. Oh, okay. Which, jeez, uh, I didn't even look at when it was. So this is like the original base game I did a review of. Not a very happy review. Wow. August 2019, so just about <laughs> four years ago. Um so I'm going to say what the original thing was, and uh, I found a way to kind of work in the stuff I want to say about uh, Wasted Wilds for this one. Nice. So my original number five was the card balance, an unbalanced kind of like broken effects. Uh, <laughs> the, 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 the famous one. <laughs> and this was like different based on which printing of the game you got, but they had a, uh, what was it? It was there like a, a radio. Yeah. Yeah. Walkie talkie. You could spend one action to give another character two actions, which just obviously <laughs> completely breaks the action economy of the game. And Jerry got that on but, his first search and literally took zero other actions for himself. The rest of the game, the rest of us just, yeah, he, he was like Charlie caning it in Eldritch Hard is like making all of us rock stars. So, yeah, so I would say uh, now in the game, the card balance is a mix. Um, and this, I kind of change because that sort of stuff is not the problem anymore. I do think the game has a lot of randomness and yeah. in the card draw specifically. And that's where, it's going to be happy for you. It's going to be not so happy for you. You know, if you're kind of okay with that, I think it adds more variety to the play. And this is a random is both in like what enemies you get, because some of them are drastically worse than others. Some of them will be your friends. If you've like made friend with a faction, some of them will be like a giant bear, ready to crawl, crawl your face off. And then uh, a bigger one is the card draw of your own decks. There isn't to make a comparison, uh, Sentinels of the Multiverse, the definitive edition 
added a ton of tutoring, which is a Magic the Gathering term for being able to like search your deck for a certain type of card. This one doesn't have as much of that. So like if you just don't get any of your weapons and don't get any weapons from the scavenging deck, you might just be terrible at fighting where the game like really kind of expects you to have a gun or expects you to have a knife. So it's not a big deal. And I think, again, if you like more uh, variety from randomness and want to see like a different experience because, oh, I didn't get the same cards each time, you're going to maybe enjoy it more. But it might also frustrate some others. So the card balance in a different way is now a mix for me, I would say. Yep. No, I, I agree with all that. And, and I do like the format that you're taking because I, I do think there were significant upgrades in this version. I'm not necessarily talking about that in my review and my points. So I'm glad you're covering that uh, for people who have played previous versions. All right, That's so- definitely why I did it. And not at all because I was a little bit lazy and just wanted to <laughs> do less work. <laughs> nice. All right, so my number four is the difficulty scaling, and there are multiple ways to do this. First of all, if you're solo, there is three different ways to play as solo. I only played one of them. I played which was called the Allies variant, where mm-hmm. there are, what, five characters in the game, I think? Yes, I want to say. It's the yeah. driver, the beekeeper, the thief, the chef. What's the, the last contractor. One? Ah, yep, there you go. Yeah, so there are five characters in the game, so you basically take cards for each character you are not controlling, and you shuffle them into the enemy deck, and then as you discover them, they come, they go in front of you, and then you can spend scavenged items to make them allies of yours, which you can then use for whatever action they have. And then, as they die, you or if you ever die, you can become that character that you had as your ally. Basically, like, discarding everything you have, but you at least get to continue to play. So that's one way. And there, the, the, this point was difficulty scaling. So you can scale difficulty in that variant where you can add more or less allies to the deck. The less allies you add, obviously the harder it's going to be because you have less chance of finding them. And even if you do, you'll have less chance. You know, every time you draw one, it's basically a non-enemy draw. So it's just a benefit for you when you draw these uh, allies. So the more you put in, so that's one way, at least in solo, of scaling difficulty. The other two ways of playing solo is there is a, like, you basically shuffle two characters together, and you can control two different characters. The way Mike usually plays it is just playing two-handed, where you control two yeah. different characters. And so that's a, a third option for uh, ways to play solo. But getting back to the difficulty scaling, the other way you can do it is the uh, you, you have something called a monster spawn deck. So you could roll two dice to kind of spawn monsters at the beginning of the turn. But the way I think both Mike and I prefer to do it is using the spawn deck, which is a deck of cards where you flip it over and it just tells you where monsters spawn. It like says you rolled an eight or whatever, or a seven. Well, you can add harder or easier cards mm-hmm. to that monster spawn deck to make it easier or harder. Now, as Mike pointed out, Randy this is a pretty thick deck there's no way you're going through the whole deck when you play so you may or may not draw those cards so it may or may not matter if you use that as a, a difficulty <laughs> scaling but it's certainly another option and but then, there's also the the faction or we're the tribe that. trade affinity that's the third yep, point yep yep so uh you can do it to make it either easier or harder so certain tribes in the game so the tribes are are in the monster deck And if you get them on your side, they actually become allies to you and they help you out. They don't hurt you. The way you do that is by trading things to them. So there is a tribe affinity. Each tribe has an affinity for a certain type of resource. And so it might be food. It might be ammo. It might be something else. And so you can do this two ways. You can make it easier by saying, well, you can trade them anything you want. But if you trade them what they want, 
it doubles. So instead of getting one point toward them liking you, you get two points. And that'll make the game easier. Or you can make it harder where you only can trade them what they are looking for. So that's another way to scale difficulty. So I do think there are many different options. But again, like a lot of things in this game, they kind of leave it up to you how you want to do it. They don't really say that this is like the way to scale difficulty. This is a level one. This is a level two. They just kind of like, yeah, here's some things you could do. So that is my number four, kind of a mix, um, because I do think, except for the tribe trade affinity, I think that one is the one that probably scales it the best. Um, Mm -hmm. Most of those are kind of hit or miss options for scaling difficulty. All right, so my number four originally was another con. There was a lot of cons in these this original review. And this was the enemy deck variety, which, you know, looking back, I would feel like is entirely fair. So uh, in the original Maximum Apocalypse, I think I think there are three sort of like campaigns, enemy factions you can go against. I think it was like the robots, the zombies, and the aliens. Somebody in the chat correct me if I'm missing a fourth one. This one, in a way, has fewer... Because, like, you've just kind of got, like, the sand and the ice. But they've also got the uh, the tribes that Peter mentioned. There's, like, uh, three or four of those. Yep. So, I don't know. Maybe it's kind of comparable. But here's a big thing. This is now a pro for me. Well, there's monsters it, and stuff, too. There's, like, yeah, the yeah, wild exactly. stack. So, there's at least six different enemy decks, yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like. So, I think it's a nice mix of people. But, really, the big thing for me is it's less about, like, the enemy variety. Because it's not, like, necessarily the powers on one faction are drastically different than another. They are there, but they don't always matter that much. But the big thing is I really, really like the tribe affinity stuff. And that you can become friends with tribe members and, like, kind of make the uh, environment less hazardous toward you. And they can actually, like, fight, uh, help you fight enemies. I find, I find that whole dynamic exciting and very fun. And it does kind of play into some of my video game loves because uh, for, for those who are watching, if you've played uh, Fallout New Vegas specifically, I, I love the Fallout video game series. And that's maybe the one that had some of the best like kind of faction affiliation stuff going on with it, whether it was the, what were they called? The Romans. Uh, anyway, so, like, there were a lot of interesting factions there. So I, I like the whole like faction idea. I think it works well. I think uh, putting in the time gives you like clear benefits in the game and the scenarios change up how that works. So I find uh, even though like the enemy decks are still not the most exciting thing in the world sometimes, there is a lot of cool variety here, and I like the new mechanics they've added on top of it. So another con, well, I guess the first one was a con to a mix. This is a con full on to a pro. I, I really like this in the game now. It's interesting that that's one of the things you like, and I didn't make it one of my points because I was going to bring it up in my final thoughts. But the new ally system I like in concept, but I find in reality that I just like make them my friends, and then the rest of the game is just like playing it out which I didn't love. Uh, Now they do things where like certain missions, you can't make them your friends or whatever else. But I found in missions where you could make them your friends, I just kind of tended to go to a spot, make them my friends, and then like just focus on that hard early in the game. And then like now half the cards out of the monster deck don't matter anymore. They're just buddies to me. So I mean, but well, I don't know. That felt cool to me. And like you said, there's a lot of scenarios where like you can only make friends with one faction, you know, like I sure. I feel like they kind of expected you to make friends frequently. And that was sort of like part of, you know, just part of the the intent of the scenarios. But no, I see what you're saying. It's definitely could seem kind of rote, could seem kind of obvious, could seem to lower the difficulty too much. Uh, Absolutely. Well, and it also, as you said, increases the randomness. Well, you didn't say it increased the randomness, but there's a lot of things that increase randomness here. And like if 50% of the monsters are now your allies, well, if every time you draw it's an ally, then it's a pretty simple scenario. And if every time you draw it's a bad guy, you know, like you can't, I, I find it hard to believe that the designers could balance for both swings. You know what I mean? Yes. This is this is not if you're here for a balanced game, 
<laughs> yes. This is not your game. <laughs> like yeah. if yeah, we'll talk about that even more later, but yes, this is, and, and that's this is my a game number, of swings. And that's my number 3.2 is the, the monster spawning and activation. I like how this system works when they are monsters. Like I said, I'm, I'm neutral on the ally part. But uh, the way it works is at the beginning of your turn, you're going to roll a dice or roll two dice or, like I said, draw from this monster spawning deck. And it gives you numbers. And let's say you rolled an eight. So every space there's an eight on the board, you are going to add a monster token to that space. And they might move, the monster tokens might move or whatever else, but they don't really do anything when they're on the board. But when you move onto them, you do have a chance to avoid them, but most of the time they're going to become monsters in your play area. And so now you basically have monsters in front of you. Now, Unlike other games, they don't stop you from doing stuff, right? I know in some games like Arkham and and other games in the past, like every time you activated and did anything but attack the monster, like you got penalized for it. It doesn't do that here. But the nice part is that it doesn't matter because they are going to attack you at the end of every round. So you still want to get rid of them. Like, it's not like you just want to go around exploring, but sometimes you don't have ways to fight them and you don't have ways to attack them uh, or your buddy's going to take care of them. So, all right, I'll take one round of, of uh, attacks or whatever. So even as swingy as the game is, I found this monster system to actually work out in the end because it, there does seem to be swings in the game where you get like lots of monsters at once or none at all. But it all in every game I've played, it all seemed to work out where at the end, we're still pretty hurt and almost dead but still find a way to to win it. So even with the swinginess in the game, I, I still feel like it works out most of the time. And the way the monsters activate is that after you've taken all your actions, you just activate the monsters left to right. If they're friends, they'll attack somebody to the right of them uh, in this monster line you have if it's an enemy. So they'll help you out as well. So all that is really cool. I like how all of it works thematically. And it seems to work out at the end where you're taking the right amount of damage. So I guess I have nothing to complain about here. It's very similar to systems like um, Sentinels of the Multiverse or Street Masters or whatever. I just feel like it works better here for whatever Mm -hmm. reason. Like the monsters seem to be balanced better here, at least in my mind, because you don't have that board element. They're not moving around or whatever. You know, the monsters are just literally in your play area. So I don't know. I I really like the way these monsters both spawn and activate. Um, Feels really satisfying to me. Uh, and, And again, even though the game seems swingy at times, it seems to all kind of balance out at the end. Yeah, I I haven't really had blowouts except like maybe once since everything coming together and beating it quickly. But then I beat it quickly and I was like, all right, let's play another one. You know what I mean? Yep. So it wasn't even yep. like that big of a problem. Like, yeah, it, it does tend to everything somehow tends to through alchemy, like become a challenge by the end. Yep. So my number three was the character decks. And that was uh, one of my pros in my old review. And it's still a pro. Um, I, I don't think they're as interesting as some of the other games we've mentioned, like Sentinels of the Multiverse, I think it has more going on with the characters, but that can be a detriment as well. These characters tend to have their lane <laughs> and they stick to it and they do cool stuff and you get consistent like combos with them. Like if you're the chef, you're going to be murdering people and making food. There yes. you go. That's, that's what you do. <laughs> if you're the, uh, if you're the beekeeper, you're going to not have to deal with conditions as much. If you're the thief, you got a whole like bag of tricks and you can do like some cool damage sometimes. And I, I don't know. I, I think it works well. I think it's fun to mix and match. I do like that it's, um, you know, this is for me, my taste. I, I, I tend to get bored with characters. So I like campaign or scenario games where you can switch them up. And this game totally has that. Like If I want to be the thief in this scenario and then play as the race car driver in the next scenario and then, uh, you know, bring in the legendary edition and play as uh, somebody from the original game in the next scenario, 
nothing's stopping me. It works great doing it. And I think it's fun to just like kind of find and explore the cards in your deck while again, being much more streamlined than some of these other kind of modular deck games. So for me, still a pro. Cool. My number two is the scenario design. And like I said, I think they've improved it over the original version. Uh, I do like how they have like certain checkpoints that you can go to and do certain things. Sometimes it's a good thing that happens. Sometimes it's a bad thing. I I don't know. They don't feel that different to me, um, the scenarios, but there's enough difference and enough variety. And the story beats keep you going forward because usually each time you go to one of those points and do something, there's a story beat. So I find that that drives my engagement with the game enough to keep me going. And there's 10 different missions in the game. So even if they're not that different, I, I feel they're more different than something like a Gloomhaven, believe it or not. (laughs) <laughs> you know and, and no shot no, no, well, fired at gloomhaven but like the monsters are different in each scenario even though you're basically going to places like it feels different because the tiles you flip over each time are different and oh like like the tactical puzzle i guess is different on the way even if it's not that different what you're doing at the end of the day which is moving around exploring and killing stuff you know there's not a lot of variety in that but i, I still feel each mission feels different to me and I mean, it may help that I literally would change characters between every mission as well. I don't know if I would feel the same way if I was literally using the same character over and over. Sure. Well, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, I agree with you that the missions aren't super different, but I think you can play the same mission multiple times and it tends to still be fun because of that whole, like, kind of exploration element and spawning being different and conditions coming out different, especially if you use different characters. All right, my number two in my old review was another pro. That's still a pro, and I would say even more so, and that's like kind of the tense action economy and tactical action choices. You have very limited actions on your turn, and you tend to want to do a ton of stuff. You want to play all these good cards in your hand. You want to uh, scavenge to keep pursuing your goals or to get food to not starve to death. You want to go help out your buddy. You want to get uh, gas, and it's gas is filling up your hand. You got to go back to the truck to drop it off but you want to get to like this objective, but you got a wolf biting at you, but you want to make friends with the locals. I I find all that interesting. I like, I like how stealth works. I like how uh, the enemy tokens kind of uh, indicate how dangerous a location is and kind of change up like the movement and where you want to go. And the minor variances and scenarios tends to be kind of fun into all of that too. So I just think like taking your turn is consistently interesting. There's a good amount of discussion. Even if I'm like going off this way and you're going off that way, Generally, we'll need to help each other. Like, I'll need to get you some food or what you'll need to, like, come and help kill somebody that's on me. So I, I think it's a good kind of cooperative, like, action puzzle. And I tend to enjoy the play quite a bit. Oh, and I would say um, something they added that makes it even more so are the the timer and, like, the environment effects and those kind of things. I never played this at a really high player count. And it does seem like it would be kind of annoying there because uh, you get you suffer these environment effects like frostbite and stuff unless you're in a uh, sheltered location. Sure. But the, the clock is advancing sometimes multiple spaces to trigger like the environment being checked and are you in shelter or not. And I can imagine in a higher player count game where you get a lot more distance between your turns, you could just like end up taking conditions because you never got a chance to move out <laughs> into shelter. Well, sure. You know, but besides that, you know, at the I've mainly been playing like one and two player games. I think the new environmental effects make that action uh, economy and like choices even more interesting. Well, and that's all I've played is one and two player games. So yes, I could see your point at higher player count games. It might, that it might get in the way. Now I feel like you'd be taking less turns in higher player count games. So the effect itself 
wouldn't be as I, bad. I see what you mean. Because you're not, you know, it only triggers at the end of your activation. So it would trigger yeah, less Yeah, so you wouldn't time. suffer as much damage or whatever the effect is. That's a good point. But it could still, that could still be annoying. Like, again, it's part of the variance of the game. Uh, but I do think in higher player count games, you're just probably going to do less in general. But I haven't played higher player count games but I can just imagine based on what you're doing, like you're not really doing anything on anybody else's turn. So I think if you want to be involved in the action, more lower player counts, probably the way to go. And my number four is very similar. It's the four actions in the game. Uh, Well, not four actions, but the fact that you take four actions on your turn, they're all very simple, straightforward. That makes it very family friendly. You could play with any age players and you could play with people who play games a lot. You could play with people who don't play games a lot. There's certainly certain characters that are going to be way easier to play with than others, but basically you're just playing cards from your hand. Unlike a lot of games, they don't limit the number of actions. So it's not like, Oh, I have this Lynx in front of me. I can only use him once a turn. No, if you want to spend all four actions using Lynxes to attack, go ahead and do that. There's even an action to let you draw cards. So there doesn't seem to be a lot of wasted or or downtime actions because there's always something to do. Now, there's a con to that, too, because if you ever draw through your deck, you instantly lose. So there's pros and cons to it, but I didn't ever feel like there was nothing to do. I always felt like with those four actions, if anything, like in the best games, I always wanted to do more, not less. Yeah, I mean, there were certainly turns where I was like, oh, I got two enemies in front of me. I'm going to have this dude attack four times and they're both dead. All right, that was my turn. Let's go. Next turn, right? Like, which, I mean, might be a con for some people, but it's a, to me, it's a pro because it gets back to your turns faster. I, I felt like more turns were just like, okay, I scavenge here, I move, I scavenge again. All right, your turn. You know, like, I feel like turns move pretty quickly. Um, yeah, yeah. And, well, and that clock thing, another great thing about it, especially again in lower player count games, is that. You don't really have like a bad things happen like you do in a lot of cooperative games every turn. You know, it's like every two or three turns this happens or every five or six turns you get a new like weather effect. So well, you tend to go through those very fast spawn turns. every turn before every right, but not out. on you. Well, you know what I mean? Like others, a, a lot of cooperative sure. games. Well, I guess it depends on where you are in your luck. But a lot of cooperative games have like something that is definitely bad happen yes. definitely every turn. And this one is like much more. Sometimes it's bad. It comes in like waves. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, and even on that clock itself, because this is not my, unless it's your number one point, which it can't be because it wasn't in the earlier versions, uh, even with that clock, not all the effects on there are negative. Like, sometimes it moves the uh, tribe uh, affinity. Well, yes, if you're friendly with them, it's a bad thing. But if you're hostile with them, it actually moves it toward the nicer side. So there are some pros to that as well. Even the events, they're called night events. Well, those aren't always bad either, because... I noticed some of them were good. Like, they give you good stuff. Yep. So, yeah. No, no, The day-night effects uh, can be positive or negative. Most of the stuff on that clock can be positive or negative. So, yeah. I mean, again, just increasing the variety. And that's why I said, even though the scenarios weren't very varied, I do feel like there's a lot of variety in the game that comes from a lot of different places. And those scenarios didn't need to feel that different. They're different enough. Sure. So, what's your number one? All right, so my... Yeah, my number one was originally the fragile gameplay and the randomness and like things just kind of going different ways. And I think that's still entirely true, but it's a mix for me now. We already talked about a lot of it, so I'll just mention a few things. A big improvement from the old version is the way the scavenge deck works. So first of all, you used to have to like pick out cards and like put scenario dependent cards in the scavenge deck. So it was like a nightmare for setup and teardown. They totally got rid of that. And then they also don't like, 
at least uh, not in the scenarios I play, they don't have you like digging through the scavenge deck for things too often. Like, yeah, you're trying to get fuel sometimes, but that tends to be very common. Well, there's, there's a, a deck literally called fuel and a deck literally yes. called food. Now that's yeah, not all right. that's in there, but like, Correct. you know where to go to get stuff, right? Yes. So yeah, so that's, that's better and less variants. Like Peter said, they added a uh, spawn deck so you can have a bit more of a like bell curve, like natural effect than just rolling 2d6 for spawning. So there's less variants there. And again, as Peter already said, they now have like most scenarios have at least half of the objectives are like a set distance away and not just digging through every tile where you might find it right away or not at all. So yeah, I think like generally it's still like extremely random game. It still yep. uh, can be very swingy, but as I already said, almost every one of my plays was like fully satisfying, was tough, was challenging, was exciting. So I think that they found a way to leave a lot of ex- uh, randomness and variety in there, but not have it be like totally ridiculous. Like I feel like it kind of was in the original release. So yeah, it's it's still a mix because I think it's going to push some people away from the game, but I think it's way better than it used to be. And I would say for like my personal taste, it tends more towards like exciting variety and less towards this game is broken, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, and and I agree. And it's funny because there is a lot of randomness, a lot of swinginess. There are games where I'm like, man, we're just blowing this game away and we've allied this gang and everything that's coming out is coming up allies. Well, guess what that means? That means the next time you spawn, you're going <laughs> to spawn three enemies, which is exactly what happened. Nick got one away from death because three of them were, or two of them were wolves and I already had a wolves in front of me and they get plus power for every other wolf on the table. So like he went from literally pretty healthy to down to one life you know, on the last turn of the game. So there definitely can be some exciting swings as well in the game. You know, for me, I I think you're right. It was just fun. There's no other way to describe it. Like I enjoyed my plays of it. Is it going to be the most tactical game in the world? No. Is it going to be the most intellectually stimulating game in the world? No, but it's, I had fun playing it. And for a modular deck game, and I, I do consider this one of those modular deck games because you have different enemies every time you play. You can use different characters and they all have their own powers. Like there's going to be different stuff each time you play, different scenarios each time you play. So it feels like a modular experience. You know, so if I compared it to Sentinel, Street Masters, but uh, not Buddy Cop, the uh, the police one. Brook City. Brook City or, or the Dungeon Crawl one. This is my favorite of those games. And I realize that it's swingy, but like, I feel like all the games are at least a little swingy in the series. And for me, for whatever reason, it always swings toward fun. Mm. I do think the characters are uniquely designed. I, you know, yes, there's a lot of repetition in the decks, but I think for the better of the game, because you're Mm. first of all, not having to read a million cards every time you're not having to learn a lot of new stuff, but there's enough stuff in there that they're fun and exciting. I don't know. I just have fun when I play this one. Am I going to pull it out? Every time I play, no, but it's a good beginning of the night, end of the night game. I don't think you're ever going to have to look up rules. You know what I mean? Like, like it's it's pretty easy and quick to get to the table. And, you know, they, they call games beer and pretzel games. I think this is one of the better ones where you just sit around. You don't really have to overthink it. And it's just it's good for having discussions, whatever else you want to do that night. Is it going to be my strategic choice of the night? Absolutely not. Is it great for what it is, which is a beer and pretzels game or something you could play with younger kids? Yeah, I like it exactly for that. So that's my thoughts. Yeah. And I mean, I'm right there with you. Way more positive than I ever was in the original. Now, like, I'm really excited for this one. I could even see us picking up like the legendary edition to get more content now that it kind of like back maps a little bit. 
you know, for your comparison, if I was comparing this to Sentinels in the Multiverse, Maximum Apocalypse is kind of like the Arkham Horror, while Sentinels is like the Lord of the Rings or Marvel Champions. You know, I don't really think they're that similar. <laughs> like one is okay. just like a punch a boss, and the other one is like an actual like adventure moving around, kind of more of like a board game instead of just a card game. I certainly like Sentinels more. It's one of my top games, especially with the Definitive Edition. Um, but I, I don't mind all the complications. Peter's right that Maximum Apocalypse, I did play like the easier, especially the first few scenarios where they kind of lead you in gently with my kids and it was no problem. You can get grittier and there are more rules with like the later scenarios and that can be a good thing. So yeah, I think this is a lot of fun. People have been loving Maximum Apocalypse on the Discord for a long time and I was kind of like out in the cold, not agreeing with them because all <laughs> I played was the base game. But, uh, you know, I'm not always a huge fan of, like, iteration after iteration making changes to a game. But in this case, I think they have found what I think is by far the best version of the game and what is a yes. very, very good game now. So I, I guess it's cool that they did that. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, I would say that I don't feel the need to get some of the older stuff. Now, I, I guess I see your point of more content, but I feel like it would almost be taking a step backwards. I almost feel like Gloomhaven versus Jaws of the Lion, right? Like with the, the map book and all that, like all the changes for me from Jaws of the Lion made the game just better. And I know that's not true for everybody, but but a more streamlined, uh, simpler version, but still with all the tactical goodness. And I feel like that's what this is to me. I would be very annoyed if I had to go back and then start having to go through the different items and, and creating those piles every time again. You know well, what no, I mean? no, but, the, but, but again, if you have this one, that extra booklet updates every scenario from the old sets to follow this new paradigm. So you wouldn't have to use like the new scavenger cards and you wouldn't and you would have like more consistency in where you're searching. Oh, OK, um, I thought it was just for the scenarios they had in that book. No, across the board. You can always I play. think so. I mean, okay. you have my copy right now, so I can't verify. And then, you know, you get like 10 or 15 more heroes, which might be fun. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think Wasted Wilds is enough for quite a while. And we don't play games that often <laughs> anyway, sure. just because of all our craziness that we have to keep up with. But yeah, I, I could see maybe going for it later. Yeah. And I think people will be happy. I think this is enough. I think it feels like a full game. You know, sometimes when you get these standalone expansion, it feels like, oh, I need to get the more stuff like the, the, the real first version or whatever, but I don't feel like that with this game. I feel like this is a fully self-contained game and I'm happy with everything that's in here and being able to play it, you know, for a decent, you know, you're going to get your money's worth out of it. That's for sure. And that goes right into our design discussion, standalone uh, releases and expansions versus, uh, you know, expansions that require the core game. Peter, you just listed a bunch of uh, positives of a standalone, you know, you can, buy just this one bite-sized thing you can see how you feel about the game you don't have to like go big you don't have to like make multiple purchases what are some other benefits of doing a standalone well i think here what they've done is do new settings as well so they say okay and and final girl does this as well right like if you like yeah the i mean you, well you need the core game for anything but you can buy into like any other set so i guess that's sort of a weird mix of expansion yeah, a, and standalone yeah yeah like it's like you the core is you can't play the core by itself either, right? In that game, like you literally have to buy a scenario pack. So I, I do like how, because it's a different theme, that's another reason to have its own standalone game. Now, certainly you you could have the argument that, hey, make people buy the base game, then they'd have to 
buy these different expansions if they wanted to play in these different scenarios. I mean, I feel like that's a very gamey way to do it. There's certainly pros to doing it both ways. The main pro for me for having a base game with expansions is that you don't have to duplicate components quite as much, right? You have damage tokens. Those damage tokens are good no matter which version of the game you have. But for this, the nice part is if I just was interested in this expansion, I can just buy this expansion standalone expansion. I don't have to buy anything else in the rest of the system. If I really like it, then I can buy other ones. Would I then be annoyed that I'd have to buy standard components or the same components again? You know, I'm paying $50 instead of maybe $30 because of that. I don't know. Maybe Final Girl has it right, right? Where you buy a corset, which has literally no gameplay at all. (laughs) Like, and then you have to buy whatever like expansion you want. So you kind of create your own corset. It's an interesting thought, at least anyway. But there, I definitely see pros and cons both ways. Yeah, and I think a big thing with the standalone is, like you said, duplication of like components, increasing costs, increasing if you want to get into like environmental impact. And it's certainly less or more depending on the game. Like the Unlock series is all separate games, yep. but every single one comes with that dang like nine card or whatever it is deck of tutorial cards <laughs> that, you know, we probably own like 50 copies of now. You know what I'm talking about, Peter? Like yep. you're in the room. It's got like the TV. And the funny yes. thing is we'll still do it. Like my kids and I will still do it when we get a new set. Just to like, cause they still enjoy the puzzle and they enjoy you really? the answer right away. <laughs> oh, sure. I mean, it's sure, the literal exact same puzzle each time. They don't, you know come- what, you know, Hey, d- don't, don't knock a seven year old being like, I'm smart. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Um, I mean, that like, is something. That, that, that's a pack of like eight or seven you know or nine cards right and it's per three now because they come in three packs so yes they they did change like kind of the structure there but it did Um, used to be you're right one for one when they sold them all individually for 15 bucks nine of those cards you were getting was going to be that tutorial mission so certainly it had much more of an impact there than now and i guess that's another thing is like how are they packaged right like in sets of three versus individually matters a lot as well but keep going with your thoughts, sir. Well, yeah, and I think what you said about modularity, like modular games are great for the standalone format because who cares? You know what I mean? Like you're just getting more stuff to you. So um, this is a competitive game, although it has co-op coming, but like the Unmatched series, you know, the 1v1 like kind of combat series, you're getting some duplication in tokens. I think that's pretty much it. Yep. You get unique characters and you get... It's not the same board. It's a new board. I think it's two. It's a double-sided board. Yep. You know, so you get new arenas to play in. So it feels like less waste. For a counterpoint, even though it's like one of my favorite games, but it's the same type of game, the Exceed series, that's a 1v1 fighting game for those who don't know. You buy uh, box sets of four fighters, generally speaking. And each of those uh, box sets comes with all these cards for like the fighting arena, like the, I think it's nine cards you lay out. And then they come with a rule book and then they come with no tokens at least, but they come with uh, like all these like basic cards and things. So, you know, me having bought like 60 or 70 people, I have like, I sometimes use them for prototyping, but usually I just chuck them at this point and recycle them or throw them out. Right. But yeah, I have like hundreds of those like uh, environment cards, especially because I bought one of, I actually have two of the neoprene like fighting mats that I bought now. So I really don't need (laughs) those nine cards. Uh, and then the extra rule book, like, oh, my God, you know, so 
there's some frustration there. Now, another weird thing. Let's let's talk well, about. Well, hold on. Let, let's come up with a fix, oh. though, right? For designers, for publishers, I think this is a super easy fix because this is a problem with Marvel Champions too, right? Yeah. Every hero set that comes out comes with the same basic three resources. So, like at this point, I got like fifty-seven thousand extra resource cards that are all literally duplicates of each other. But what they could have done, and what they actually the community has done, and they've even put them out as like free print and play expansions, which is even more frustrating because they spent all the money on the artwork now, but they could have just made those different based on your character, right? So if you're She-Hulk, have the pictures be She-Hulk related in those duplicate things. For the arena cards, for Exceed, have a theme and have every arena look different. Where maybe you could even mix and match them or however you want to do it. But here's the thing. They still aren't actually adding any value. Like, I get what you're saying, but I'd rather them not exist. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you, your solution is better than nothing, but it's still just extra crap. Like, are, are you going to keep the different, like, 50, 100 cards just because one of them is She-Hulk? Are you going to find the She-Hulk copy when you do a She-Hulk deck? You know? Well, I, I can say from Keyforge, right? Keyforge has sure. a starter set every time a new set of cards is put out. And the starter set, really, you're just getting two decks, and you're paying five extra bucks for the tokens, which, again, if you own enough Keyforge, you don't need any more tokens. But the one thing, the reason I buy every starter set that comes out is they have two play mats, and these are paper play mats. I don't use play mats anymore for the most part, or I use, like, you know, the rollout neoprene ones I have. But I still like collecting those different play mats so for me would i keep them absolutely i've kept i've not only kept but i bought specifically starter decks which are five dollars more than i would normally pay for tokens i don't need and just for those two unique player mats so yes i would that that you don't play with yes that i don't play with (laughs) but i have them and they're cool Now, you mentioned something else that I know is a big thing with standalones, and maybe one of the main reasons they do it, is the psychology of buying back in or starting a system. You know what I mean? So you just said Keyforge has made the choice to have a new starter set each time they have a new release. So it's, you know, it's a new SKU to manage, like on the shelves and such, but it's also like a new shiny for somebody that's walking around the uh, like the store or looking online to see and want to buy. Yep. You know what I mean? And I think also, you know, if you don't want to worry about people tra- tracking down old versions, tracking down old things, are there enough of the core game in stock? This is a consistent print run. And I imagine... The general knowledge is that when you have an expansion of a game, you shrink your, you know, if your original audience was this much, now you have this much. And then you have an ex- another expansion, now it's this much. You have another expansion, yep. now it's this much, right? Like you're, yeah, the, you're continually the, kind of shrink your shrinking. sales. And I think that probably still happens to an extent with standalones, but I think it's the hope is that sometimes it shrinks and sometimes it gets wider and sometimes it stays the same, you know, like that you try to kind of counter that a little bit because people don't need to have the original buy-in like they don't need to have that original thing you're not forcing them to spend more and more it could be just an entirely new purchase and you know then hopefully they'll go backwards and get everything but it's not the same kind of requirement of like getting that and tracking down that initial uh first release well and sometimes if you go into a store and they only have the expansions and not the base game right because they're all sold out of the base game or whatever yeah no i i think to distill a little bit what you said for the new player, it's better to almost have the standalone. So mm-hmm. you can just buy that new thing and you don't have to worry about buying anything else. For an experienced player, somebody who's already bought into the system, 
they actually are less likely maybe to buy a standalone expansion because they're duplicating some of the stuff they already have. Whereas for a new player, there's no duplication there. So standalone expansions are actually better for new players. Whereas I feel like old school expansions, because they're going to be cheaper and less duplication are going to be better for somebody who already owns the game. Um, Yeah. And and I think uh, collectible games like Keyforge or Magic the Gathering have this nice option to do the best of both worlds because you can do like a totally, you know, like Magic the Gathering will have, I think, like little sets that will start you off whenever they have a new release or whatever. Keyforge has like the starter set. Yeah, exactly. But if you're a experienced player, you don't need that stuff. You can just go straight to buying like the new separate packs, see what you get or get things like specific but they have that advantage. Clearly that won't work. That model doesn't like make any sense for the average board game where you know what you're getting. Oh, by the way, Dan uh, in the chat had a good uh, solution for the She-Hulk. If it, like, it had different art, you could just store them with the 15 unique cards for that character. Yeah, no. I guess the only awkward would. thing there would be if you wanted to pull out more of those cards, but usually you don't want that many of those cards, right? No, you have to keep all 15. So when you play She-Hulk... You always have to use a 15. Now the resource- no, no, I'm talking about like the basic strength, the basic like resource cards. Are you yeah, usually I mean, adding extra of those to your deck? No, you can't. You can only oh, okay. have one of each. Yep. Got it, got it, got it. So yeah, you could keep those with. So they could be like an 18 card starting hand. And then if you don't want mm-hmm. them in your deck, you just pull them out. Although most of the time you have them in. Not always, but most of the time. So, but for that example, but again, going back to the arena example you had, it doesn't matter. You don't have to fight your aquatic heroes in the aquatic arena, if you're playing Exceed, mm. right? You could play them in the desert arena, and that might be just fun to do. You know what I mean? So having unique artwork, I think, on the different arenas, it would make me want to play with different stuff. It's like, all right, which arena are we playing in today? All right, this is the next one. And I tend to, for stuff like that, like kind of after I play with it, I put it on the bottom of the deck, and then I'll take the next mm. top arena that, you know, so next time I play, I'm going to play with this arena. Does it make any difference gameplay-wise? No. I mean, it could, Theoretically, you could put a little thing that each arena had and write it right on the card itself, right? So it's like in this arena, space five makes you get plus one attack power or something. And maybe in that arena, like you're trying to get the space five or whatever. So there are things you can do to make those even duplicated components better or not better, but different, right? In different versions. Like, I don't have to have the same exact nine cards for every version of my game for the arena. I could make a different nine cards, maybe not just art-wise, but even gameplay-wise. And so it would give me a reason. Maybe I don't even care about these Exceed characters, but I want that new arena. So bringing value in every part of the game, I think, is part of it especially for those returning players. Because new players are going to get it anyway, because it's got the characters they want or whatever else. But bringing value to those duplicate components, whether it be new artwork or new gameplay mechanisms, I think that's important to keep your existing customers happy. So even if you're doing standalone, I think trying to as much as possible not duplicate components, even if they have the same function, making them unique in some way or another. Yeah, no, I agree. But you know what's uh, better than standalone every time, Peter? What's that? Uh crowdfunding your game and having 15 expansions <laughs> and people pay like $800, they don't need standalones because they bought the entire line of everything that will ever be for the game all at once, you know, whether any of it was play tested or not. That's a great way to go. I mean, that's a, that's a very different discussion, right? Is that even <laughs> an expansion at that point? Like if literally everybody gets it with the base game, it's like, right. we have this expansion free. 
Well, is it an expansion? Because now it's in the box, or maybe it's not in the box. It's a separate box. But well, yeah, just and like how much? How much box. does expansion indicate length of time, more thought? Like, does the word expansion entail? I've heard how the game was received and seen like the feedback from people and tried to add something or to address it. Clearly, all of that is lost in uh, these giant crowdfunding campaigns because it's uh, it's too bad. It's too late, you know. Like, well, and. I- I think expansions can have another function, which is what you're talking about right now, which is fixing something that was wrong with the old game. And I think it can be done both ways because Fantasy Flight was famous for this. They'd release games and then people are like, oh, this is broken. And then they'd release an expansion that basically had a patch for the base game. But you didn't need to buy a whole new base game. They literally fixed it with their expansion. Now, sometimes they would remove components from the base game, which may or may not be problematic. But like... I mean, the base game, I guess, is still playable. It's just not as good as with the expansion at that point. But it's true also, you think of all the zombie sides or the Maximum Apocalypse. At this point, why would I need to own the other stuff? Because I feel like they fixed it in this latest version, right? So expansions can be good for that. They can be second editions almost. Even if they're not called second edition, they can be a better version of what you already had. Or mm-hmm. if, if it's not a standalone expansion, even if it's just a regular expansion, it can still fix the base game itself. So I think that is the benefit expansions, which is why it's ridiculous to me now that games are releasing with quote unquote expansions. How's it an expansion if it's coming out at the same time? Like that's, <laughs> it doesn't expand it. It's just the game, right? <laughs> like, I well, I guess, I mean, if it's going to be in retail as an expansion later... Yeah, it's weird. Well, we were talking about The Witcher earlier. Like, I'm really excited to play The Witcher. And the thing I want to play most is the Wild Hunt mode that is specifically solo co-op. You know, like, a you all can work together. But no, that I- was that was bundled, if I understand it correctly, that was bundled with the core game if you backed it on crowdfunding. But it's not, like, the game is out in retail now. You can buy it in retail. But you can't buy Wild Hunt. You can't get Wild Hunt in any way. And they say that eventually they're going to have it in retail. But I guess they have to like make the box and print an expansion version that is not just in the core game, you know. So it's like right. its own whole separate thing. It's going to come way later. So yeah, like that's <laughs> that's really <laughs> blurring the lines, I guess. Well, I guess I agree with that a little bit because actually, for spare parts, we're actually going to have an expansion that comes out at the same time. But I guess the difference is not everybody gets it. Right. Like you're going to have to pay for it. You're going to buy it. It's a separate product because it's for a different audience potentially as well. For us, it serves a different need. Uh, And I'm sorry to come back to our, I'm not advertising a game you can't buy yet. I'm just, you know, (laughs) thinking out loud here. Like, why are we doing it as a separate thing as an expansion? And it's because I don't want people to have to pay for something that they don't want. Right. If people don't want an arena mode, a horde mode, whatever else, if that doesn't sound exciting, if they're more interested in the campaign, well, you know, they don't need to buy that expansion. Yeah. And, By the way, Dan has uh, there's an even better version uh, that Dan brought up in the chat. Yeah. You can have like 50 billion boxes with the game, have it not be good and then pull a fantasy flight and add like a 1.5 or 2.0 version and crowdfund that later and make even more money. <laughs> sure. You know, like Madara did like 1.5 and then 2.0 rolls. Uh, yeah. And then I think, what was it? Uh, Tanari's arena or adventures. That's like doing a 1.5 stars of a car. is doing like a 1.5 crowdfunding campaign. Although that one I thought worked pretty well. Like that game didn't feel broken. It, it could add, it had areas that could be improved, but I thought it was mostly good. Well, so how do you feel about that? So let's talk about Gloomhaven, right? 
So Gloomhaven now is coming out with a second edition <laughs> of the game where, so this kind of is like an expansion, right? Because let's call the expansion, quote unquote, an upgrade pack, right? Where sure. people can buy an upgrade pack and upgrade their previous version of the game. That would be the expansion model. Or what they're doing now is just saying, no, this is the new game. There is no quote unquote expansion. There is no upgrade pack. The new game is an upgraded version of the other game. So it's an entire another game you have to buy. I think it's on the same lines, right? Would you would you equate those two things? Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've mixed feelings about Gloomhaven second edition specifically because, you know, I, I respect them wanting to get more money. I respect Isaac wanting to, like, make the game even better. At the same time, I tend to be like, well, just move on. It was a good game. Like, Gloomhaven is not a poorly regarded game. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> like, sure. I don't, I don't know anybody out there who's like, oh, man, what a broken, you know, scattered, crap, crappy experience Gloomhaven is. But I think Jaws of a Lion was, for me, a vast improvement over base Gloomhaven. Frosthaven, we haven't gotten enough into yet, but I've heard very positive things about that, and that it adds a lot of new cool stuff. So, like, Gloomhaven 2nd Edition, they're going to make a ton of money. Good for them. I think it is cool for new people, so it does kind of have that standalone effect. Yep. It's like, hey, if I've never played Gloomhaven, or if you know, like, even if I played Jaws of a Lion and Frosthaven, but I never played the original, ooh, now there's, like, a better version for me to get. You know, yeah. it's kind of like... Uh, I mean, it is more of the remake than the standalone, but it's kind of like Sentinels of the Multiverse Definitive Edition. Like, please don't buy any version except this. Like, it's basically almost better in every single way, <laughs> you know? But that's the weird thing, because I don't Is well, there as much room for improvement in Gloomhaven? I guess in, like, keeping the story straight with what they did in Frosthaven, where they have, like, kind of, like, the little tracking thing. I heard he was improving some classes. I, I guess I didn't play as much as other people. I never found, like, some classes is totally busted. Right. Um... I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not buying it. I don't really know anybody who's buying it, but somebody's going to buy it. I'm sure the Kickstarter's I mean, they, made tons of money. Got millions of dollars already. So Right, yeah. but that's not just Gloomhaven 2nd Edition. That's miniatures. That's the RPG. That's, uh, you know, lots of stuff. But, Everything. Yeah. Yes. yeah. I, mean, I mean, I'm glad for people to fix their games, like go back and just make their game better for future purchasers of the game. Like, I don't ever think that's a bad idea. The hard part is not having an upgrade pack, right? And well, I think and, they do now. I think they added one. Oh, now. did they add they one? Ton. I believe there's like a $75 upgrade pack on the crowdfunding page. Yeah, now. but We're it basically on... upgrades every component in the game, right? Like that's Well, the, right. Like every when everything is upgraded, like yeah, that's going to be 75 bucks. It's going to be almost the cost of the game. Still going to be worth I mean, it the, for some people. I think, yeah, because I like, mean, th th this is if you're going to do a remake, this is the kind of remake that I'm fine with. The game's already good unless you're a completionist or somebody who's just kind of like sour grapes about it. There's really no reason to like worry about it if you already have Gloomhaven. If you really want to spend almost the cost of Gloomhaven to get an upgrade pack to upgrade your Gloomhaven, you can do it. You know, like I, th I think it's all fine. And then it's kind of like a reprint where you make things better, you know, like, hey, but anyone buying Gloomhaven in the future is going to get a better Gloomhaven. You know what I mean? Like, I'm fine with all of that. I think that mostly applies to Sentinels, too. Like, there were some broken things in Sentinels, but mostly that was a good game. And now this, the Definitive Edition is a better game. Your old Sentinels hasn't ceased to be good. Like, heck, the Sentinels of Earth Prime that came out recently is only like old Sentinels like style and more compatible with that than the new stuff. So uh, I guess we'll cover this on a different topic, but let's something to think about. Does it make you feel bad 
to now own Viticulture when Viticulture Essential Edition comes out? Does it make you feel bad that you own Gloomhaven when Gloomhaven Second Edition comes out, right? Like, I guess Hoplomachus. You know, all these things when they come up with new versions, which is not what we're talking about today. So we'll we'll leave this for another story. But is it a feel-bad moment? Um, I mean, yeah, it can be. I think that the time's been long enough. It's not like when they uh, did uh, Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man so close after Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man and then did Spider-Man Homecoming so close after Andrew Garfield where, like, you barely, like, had a chance to, like, to get, you know, ready for another movie again. Sure. It's been a long time since Gloomhaven came out. By the way, uh, Dan, thanks, Dan, for all the corrections in here. He's saying the upgrade pack is only the new characters, like the rebalanced character classes. Not the story, not the missions, and it's seventy five dollars. Well, buy it if you want. That seems like even worse of a deal than I thought. Yeah, and I don't know. So Dan's saying the disjointed story is Gloomhaven Second Edition going to make the bad Gloomhaven story better? Yes, they're redoing the story. They're redoing. Well, right, no. Well, well, let, let me clarify what I'm saying. Did you think the Jaws of a Lion story was good? I mean, I'm not making fun of anybody's work. It was fine. <laughs> no, it, I mean it was. Do you remember anything good about? It? Like what? What happened? I think Cultus. Flesh bugs. There, there were called this. Yeah, there's the flesh blobs, and they exploded yep. one side of yep, town. They, yep, and yep, that's what they did. There was the bad guy you fought at the end. Um, that guy, remember that guy? <laughs> that bad guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then we haven't played I, I do remember much, running I, the gauntlet or playing that game or whatever at the docks. I remember that. Oh, I do remember that. Yeah, because we died. That was like one of the few missions we lost. <laughs> so I remember that very well. And, and Frost Haven. So far, like I haven't heard anybody complain like saying this narrative is amazing. I've heard lots of other compliments about it so yeah like i don't expect limited second edition to drastically make the narrative experience better <laughs> except that if they have that branch at least i'll know what the mission i'm playing has to do with anything like that's good you know yeah that that was that was the hardest thing for me and it's true with any game it's not exclusive to gloomhaven but like you go away from a game long enough even iss vanguard were like okay what was going on in the story again what was going on Gloomhaven, I felt it was worse because you just had like six stickers on the board and it's like, go to any of these six missions. It's like, yeah. what were they related to? And again, I hear Frosthaven fixed it. And I'm sure in second edition Gloomhaven, they've learned their lesson from that. And they're going to sure. kind of remind you, you know, what game did this really well? What was it? Was it was it? It might have been Descent second edition app or it might have been Journeys in Middle Earth. Wasn't there one where it would like play a recap for you? At the beginning of like what's I think, happened so far? I think far? third edition or whatever descent third edition was called Journeys in the Dark or whatever. I feel like that did something like that with like the little app based storyline. It everything. may have even been Detective. That might have been what it was. Like the AJ Porfirio. No, 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 like, no, no. Yeah. The, the 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 portal. One. Oh, oh, you mean uh, Detective? Like, yeah, the the portal one. Yeah, when you played the second mission, I think it recapped the first story for you. Yeah. I think it might have. I think that's the one I'm thinking of. That was really cool. Like, I wish more games did that. Like, hey, I haven't played this game in six months. I'm on mission six. Can you ever remind me what happened? Like, Yeah. Although I think we're still kind of like maybe the odd weirdos out in that, like, we have so many games coming in as part of our coverage and stuff that we don't play these campaigns more. Like, the average gamer, if they get... Aeon Trespass Odyssey, I would hope they would like to sit down and play Aeon Trespass Odyssey for a while. We don't necessarily have that luxury. <laughs> you yes, know what I mean? That's true. All right. So Dr. Dan, basically he got Gloomhaven a long time ago. He's only 15 missions in, but he blames himself for that and not them. So he's mildly annoyed, but not super annoyed that 
there is now a better version of a game he already paid for. Yeah, whereas Gloomhaven, I've played 40-plus plays of. I'm never going to play any of it again. No. So this, this matter is not at all to me. <laughs> but yes. at some point, we'll play Frosthaven more, and that'll be maybe fun. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we were one mission in, and that was good. But we've decided. We actually have sat down to play a game, campaign, which we haven't talked about. Uh, we're playing ISS Vanguard. Like, I've still got it set up on my table. Like, we've consistently come back and played that one over and over again. Oh, and by the way, I'm I'm not uh, out of town this weekend, so we can play this Saturday if we want to. Well, there you go. There you go. So ISS Vanguard is a campaign that we've actually gone through. The next one's got to be Osworn, though, because I'm dying to play that game. <laughs> and uh, that's, I believe that's one of my favorite games of all time, but I never get to play it, so I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, it's been a while for me, too. Like, I, I, <laughs> I was just doing um my video. It's coming out next week of... Uh, top 10 games so far this year and spoiler one of the games we just mentioned might be on there but i was like i played this in january peter's had it for a while i think i liked it a lot <laughs> so number one of my top 10 of the year we'll see <laughs> yeah part of the problem with that one was it's so big and then the other thing so here, here it is right i think there's an upgrade pack coming for it right to fix some mm. stuff or whatever like same with another one of my favorite games adventure tactics I've literally been waiting on this upgrade pack for a year, year and a half. I won't touch the game because I'm like, oh, there's better stuff out there mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I should be playing with. Clearly, my version's broken, so now I don't want to play with it anymore, right? <laughs> it's like, even though I liked the game just fine before they came up with an upgrade pack, now that they've come up with an upgrade pack, I feel like it's yeah. unplayable. Isn't that weird? It's like a psychological thing. Oh, yeah, I mean, it absolutely is, and... Yeah, it's both, it both is weird and totally makes sense. You know what I mean? Right. So for both of those games, I'm like, well, I don't really want to play yet because I'm kind of waiting for the upgrade pack to come in. Yeah, that's the weird part about Gloomhaven. I already wasn't playing it. Now I'm really less likely to ever play it because <laughs> it's like, well, I don't have the good version. So I don't know. I don't know. Um, and now my version's basically worth zero, right? Because there's nobody buying Gloomhaven first edition when there's a second edition version out there. Like, why would yeah. you? Yeah. So that's that's another story for another day. But uh, no, I think we've had a really good discussion today. Yeah. So thanks, everybody, for tuning in or listening. And yeah, we'll we'll maybe do uh, Dagger in a couple of weeks or one of these other ones I got recently. Yeah, I think Dagger and then Red, Red Dragon Inn are going to be the next two. If I, If I had to guess, based on, usually it is based on my motivation to play the games. Like, this is the two games I'm most excited to play next. Yep. Dagger, because there's just not a lot of coverage of it yet. And then Red Dragon in because I had so much fun playing that game that I can't wait to get back to it. Uh, yeah, I'm excited, too, because, again, they've added even more cool stuff. So should be good. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop. Or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again and we'll see you next week for another top five list. Hey Mike. Oh, I diverb, yep. <laughs> can I get an upgrade for my game design counterpart? Oh. Yeah, the standalone version. <laughs> No, I want I want an upgrade pack. I'm not paying for a whole new one. <laughs> That's right.